Welcome to Everything Analytics with Business Laboratory. I'm your host, Holmes Librand, and this week we'll be talking to Business Laboratory's president, CEO, founder, George Danner. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing how supply chains can use analytics to improve their process. George, I'd like to start off the podcast with you just kind of telling our audience a little bit about yourself. Hi, Holmes. Uh, I've been running Business Laboratory since its inception seven years ago. And what we do is we build computer simulation models for a living. We do that for a wide variety of industries all over the world. And we get a front row seat, essentially, onto very complex business problems. And so this is a way, this podcast is a way for us to share some of the stories we found, some of the interesting companies and problems that we found, and how we went about solving them. So what are the best areas to really apply analytics? Well, analytics is a, is a very broad topic, and it can be applied to literally any kind of business activity. But you know, the, the classic area uh, is around manufacturing and supply chains. I'll say supply chains in particular. Uh, we've gotten a lot of inquiries about uh, companies who want to make their supply chains just simply make them better. So when I talk about supply chain, I'm talking about, say, the, the acquisition of raw materials or parts or, or even information. That would be the, the inbound supply chain. And then what companies do is they transform that stuff into something that's valuable, and then they turn around and distribute that product to customers. And that part of it is the so-called outbound supply chain. And you know, Holmes, even banks and insurance companies can be thought of as having supply chains, special supply chains that include information that is purchased, transformed, and then redistributed. So even if your industry is one that moves information around, this is still an important conversation to have. That sounds relatively straightforward. Well, yes and no. Uh, you would think that analyzing a supply chain where parts move from one place to the next would be really easy. But in fact, it's, it's, it's pretty complex. I, you know, I've been looking at, at supply chains for three decades now, and there really isn't anything easy about them at all. Uh, the sheer number of players in the supply chain, these are suppliers and transportation modes, the number of products, the geographic spread of customers and locations, you know, even things like weather and fuel prices, all of these factors conspire to make the movement of a good from point A to point B, a, a really complex beast, actually. Okay, never mind. That sounds pretty complicated. Well, it, it, it certainly can be. Um, you know, supply chains are, are crazy complex, uh, but there are things that we can do to gather insight about how they work. I mean, uh, uh, to give you a po uh, another point to think about, there was some great work that was done at MIT uh, a while back when I was a student there. Professor John Sturman of the Sloan Business School set up a, a fictitious industrial supply chain, and he called it the beer game. Uh, in that game, he created a four-part value chain, starting with the, the brewery, then moving on to the wholesaler, then on to the distributor, then on to the retailer with direct interaction with customers. Even in that very simple example, he showed how people role-playing each of those discrete parts 
generated enormous volatility in inventory levels just by introducing a very small disturbance in demand. So if you haven't had a chance to play the beer game, I would encourage those in our audience to, to do so. The insights from that exercise are very impactful for companies of all shapes and sizes. All right, George, uh, you've convinced me that supply chains are complicated, but they also represent a great opportunity for analytics. My question, I guess, to you is, how would a company really get started in that direction? So I think the first thing that companies need to think about is their information about the supply chain. So think about this. If we had perfect, error-free information about say, how much demand we would have for our products, it would be a fairly easy matter for us to configure our supply chain to deliver that amount of demand on any given day or month. Now, the problem is, in the real world, we don't have perfect information. Far from it. What we have are good guesses about demand against the whims of the marketplace. So one way to make our supply chains better is to actually increase our ability to forecast under uncertainty, to move as close as we can to the ideal case I just mentioned with perfect information. So forecasting anything, whether it's the stock market or demand for a product, is, is equal parts science and art. Just because there's art to it, though, doesn't mean that the forecasting is hopeless. Notice that I didn't use the word prediction here. We can't predict the future, but what we can do is forecast a set of plausible futures that improve our odds considerably over, you know, just guessing randomly. So think of giving yourself a few percentage point edge over the house in that poker game at your favorite casino. Okay, so what methods do you use to forecast something that's so uncertain as product demand? Okay, well, let's talk about a few of the forecasting methods that are out there. Let's start simple with time series modeling. In a time series, you're looking at say, a history of demand, and then fitting a curve in between all of those data points. That curve, which is actually a math formula, is then carried forward into the future to plot a trajectory for forward demand. This has the advantage of being about the simplest forecasting method out there, but with the disadvantage that it's so-called naive methodology. In other words, it's naive to all the fundamental drivers of demand that might be significant. Still, in particular for short-term forecasting, time series can be a good step for organizations who are just beginning to make a science out of their forecast. The next move up in the forecasting chain are statistical models. So these are models that, in fact, take into account quite a large number of available data points as drivers of the outcome, in this case, demand. You might hear a phrase used called multiple regression, which is a fancy term for models just like this. They're stronger than time series models because they hold that the pattern of demand is a function of the movement of all these fundamental drivers in concert. So higher fidelity than time series, but a bit more complicated to put together. In the case of a modern supply chain, this might be things like the strength of the economy, seasonal effects, our pricing relative to competitors, or the state of our customers' industry. And then there are what are called structural forecasting models. Now these are models that seek to replicate an entire customer base in a computer simulation model, perhaps a particular industry that buys your product regularly. One of the outputs is overall demand, and then when multiplied against an estimated market share, voila, you have your forecasted demand. These are some of the most challenging models to put together, 
But companies with a great deal of industry expertise in the form of smart, experienced subject matter experts have the necessary ingredients to build them. Once built, they become part of the core intellectual property of the firm. Most recently, we've, we've gained the advantage of an entirely new class of forecasting models using a method known as machine learning. So this is a technique that uses a set of data to train a piece of software the relationship between a set of inputs and one or more outputs. So let's say we want to know how everyone who lives in our town voted in the last election. Let's keep it simple and say there are only two choices, Republican or Democrat. We start with a training set of, say, 100 people who self-identify with one party or another. Joe is a Republican, Mary is a Democrat, Sue is a Republican, and so forth. So all these people also volunteer salient information about themselves. So their age, their education, income, family size, etc. So I'll now use that information to teach a machine learning model the inputs, which is data about the voters, and the output, which in this case is only one of two values, either Republican or Democrat. So as the training process happens, the model is internally and gradually developing this statistical correlation between the inputs and the outputs. Once the model is trained, I can then ask it about a person whose information I know, but whose party affiliation, the output, I don't, and it will give me its best guess as to whether this person is a Republican or Democrat with some confidence factor. And I can repeat those guesses for everyone else in my town. So machine learning is, in a sense, dumb. A machine learning algorithm doesn't know whether it's forecasting the price of tea in China or hog bellies in Nebraska. It's simply a mathematically correlating a set of numerical inputs to a set of numerical outputs. And that's the beauty of it, really. I, there's no bias whatsoever built into machine learning models. They're simply demonstrating what they've been taught by the modeler. And that's one of the reasons why machine learning models have become so popular these days. Uh, it is relatively easy to pull together the data necessary to train a model and then unleash it on all of the data that we don't know about. All right, and I think we could really elaborate on forecasting, and maybe we will. We'll just have a podcast that's completely dedicated because I think you could go on and on about that subject. Absolutely, forecasting is a is a very rich topic that almost requires its own discussion. As we kind of gear toward this supply chain analytical, you know, what interacts with it, you said that forecasting is one of the ways to improve supply chains. Is there another? Absolutely. So the flip side to the forecasting, in other words, uh, allowing us to uh, forecast demand better, is the agility. So no matter what the demand is, can we be agile to what level of demand uh, comes at us? So in a word, that's agility. So agile supply chains constantly adjust to changing demand in real time. They use data to perform these sense and respond style actions with, with very little human intervention. So as an example, it might be a supply chain that re-optimizes delivery routes daily based on current demand or can instantly switch between redundant suppliers in the case of a critically needed material. Uh, I'll give you an example. S supply chains are also shorter uh, Zara is a very popular women's retail clothing store, and recently 
they took an item, an item of apparel, and they took that from design to in-store in an unprecedented 25 days. Okay, so to summarize kind of what we've been talking about in this podcast, so you have two mutually exclusive strategies, better forecasting and agility, that hold the promise of dramatically improving our supply chains. The forecasting side gives you better information for you to act upon, much like a detailed weather forecast. The agility side protects you no matter how the future unfolds, like carrying a portable umbrella in your backpack. And if I were a smart company, I'd take both of these steps and apply them simultaneously to ensure that their supply chain, my supply chain rather, would run smoothly. Analytics underpins both of these. It's crucial to both of these approaches. Is that kind of a good summary? That's a, that's a great summary, Holmes. Uh, the companies, the progressive companies that I've seen uh, use every possible weapon in their quiver to make their supply chains better. So many of them are thinking about getting a better handle on their forecasting and looking at demand, and others are looking at uh, agility and making their systems robust against uh, dramatic increases or decreases in demand. And the very best companies are doing both together. And if you were to do those both together, what is there an integration that happens between forecasting and agility that we haven't discussed? Well, as you mentioned earlier, uh, analytics really does underpin both strategies. One has to have a good sense around the data and the models that are required to understand the, the demand picture. One has to have good data and models around how to capture how the supply chain performs minute by minute. In other words, what's a good sense of how agile this supply chain is when I give it various scenarios for demand. Okay, great. So we've kind of gotten the 100-foot view of this, the aerial view of, of what these two things are. If you could give a few just practical steps for a company out there that's trying to work on applying analytics in this way for their supply chain, what would those steps be? Absolutely. You know, I, I don't think you could underestimate the value of drawing a picture. You know, I, I have a lot of companies that I talk to, and they're always a little bit surprised when I, when I talk about the ability to draw a picture and how powerful that is. But in, in a sense, when you start to draw a picture, you're building a model. Now, it's a, it's a qualitative model, but taking a, a complicated supply chain and drawing the actors in that supply chain and the relationships among all of those actors, both on the inbound supply chain side and the outbound supply chain side, starts to generate a terminology, a vocabulary, that is very clear and simple and a way to sort of strip out all of the noise to understand the major components of the supply chain. It's a very powerful exercise to be able to draw out the supply chain. So my recommendation to a company is if they haven't done this, they should definitely start drawing pictures in the best way that they can. And one good test of whether that picture is effective is to take that picture of the supply chain and hand it to somebody who's not in the company and see if they understand whether they're in the, involved in the industry or not, whether they understand the, uh, what the picture is trying to say. So once you write out that process, it should be so simple that anyone off the street should be able to look at it and understand the flow of your system. That's an ideal test 
of clarity of the drawing, of simplicity of the drawing. What is this drawing uh, trying to tell me? So yes, I, I, I believe that would be the very best test of, of whether it's communicating. Whether you have a company full of subject matter experts or not, you still strive for clarity in these kinds of, of diagrams. And that information can definitely be useful even as if you do have subject matter experts, if they're in your retiring age or if they're planning on moving out of the company, that information that you get from them in that kind of system can be really useful later on, I would imagine. Well, that's absolutely right, Holmes. In, in fact, I've had companies tell me that the rules of thumb, the heuristics by which their supply chain operates are part of their intellectual property, their core intellectual property of the firm. So if it's that crucial, if it's that important, you're right, it should transcend any individual human. We should take that knowledge that's inside of human brains and pull it out and put it on paper in a very clear form. That's a really critical exercise, particularly these days, as we have sort of demographic factors in place where a lot of our more, most experienced, knowledgeable personnel are getting very close to retirement age. And that information, that knowledge, has to be now conveyed to a younger generation of folks just coming into these companies starting to assume these leadership positions. Okay, George, so building out those diagrams, those pictures, that's step one. What, what's step two? Step two is essentially taking a pulse of the supply chain, just like you would take the pulse of a patient. Um, the idea is to assemble enough data to capture a day in the life or a week in the life of the supply chain. So taking steps like that, that kind of simulation approach, uh, will provide really clear clues as to where the problems in the supply chain lie and, and what methods could be brought to bear to illuminate them further. Well, thanks so much, George. A wealth of knowledge and information. I'm sure we'll dive more into each of those topics as we go on with this show and as we do more and more episodes. Thanks so much for joining us, George. Thank you, Holmes. And thank you, listeners, for joining us this week. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know in iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.